0: Let's read Matthew 26. We're going to be in verse 36 where we'll start. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith to the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he to them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. "'Tarry ye here, and watch with me.' And he went a little farther, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, "'O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt.' And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep. And saith to Peter, "'What, could you not pray with me one hour? "'Watch and pray,' That ye enter not into temptation, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, and their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning having read a passage of Scripture of one of the most sorrowful times that our world has ever experienced, a a time of sorrow that um, I I should say has happened on this world that the world itself wasn't fully aware of happening. Um, I pray that as as we, we go through this Passage, Lord, that you would give clarity. um, Give me clarity of thought. Uh, I pray that you would move as only you can move and do as only you can do. um, Speak to hearts and minds this morning, that as we walk away from the message this morning, we're forever changed as a result of hearing your word. In Christ's name. Amen. So I want to, the message this morning, um, unless it wasn't obvious, it's going to be on the subject of prayer. And um, I, prayer is one of those subjects that I, I, I sometimes we make grandiose statements. I really do believe this. If somebody were to make prayer the subject of their study, they were to study prayer and do a series on prayer, I think it could easily last the entirety of their ministry life. That you could study prayer and the different facets. It's a, it's a gem and it's multifaceted. And I don't think we can exhaust the subject. I don't think we could ever study it out and say, well, I I fully and completely understand prayer because I've studied it for 10 years. Well, good. You've got eternity to go. Prayer is just such a huge subject, and and here I am bringing prayer up. I'm going to talk about prayer this morning. Um, This is going to be more of a practical approach and a practical lesson on prayer, if you will. Um, But I want to go through these accounts. Now, Matthew in twenty six talks about it. Uh, Mark talks about this particular event, these events in chapter fourteen. Luke talks about them in chapter twenty two. John doesn't describe what exactly went on. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give more of a detail. They're called the synoptic gospels. They're very similar and the same with each other. And John sometimes, I shouldn't say that. That's disrespectful. He goes rogue sometimes. He just goes out there and and it, it's all gospel. It's all truth. John just doesn't approach him the way that synoptic gospels approach some of the subjects. So John actually does describe and talk about what happened as a result here. And we're going to use John as well. In John chapter 18, he talks about what went on here. But this passage of scripture here, I want to to open up this passage from the gospels, not just Matthew, using all of them to give us that fuller picture. Um, And as we look at Jesus' prayer in this garden, I believe... We see a process. We see a process of events um, that I believe, I mean, you, you're given it. It's shown to us for a purpose, and I think it's so that we can see it as an example for us uh, in prayer. Um, so before we open up the, 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 the text and we start going through the text, I want to tell you, I, I read a book not too long ago on the subject of prayer. And um, the author opens up the book with a story, and I wanted to share the story with you. So he, he goes on a camping trip <clears throat> in Pennsylvania with five of his six kids, and his wife had chosen to stay behind with their uh, eight-year-old daughter named Kim. And he was, they're, they're on their camping trip with the kids, and he's, he's heading back to the van from the campsite, and as he approaches the van, he sees his 14-year-old daughter named Ashley standing in front of the van and she's very tense and she's very upset. He comes up to her, he says, Ashley, what's wrong? What's going on? And she said, I lost my contact lens. It's gone. And if you're a glasses wearer who wears contacts, you know how terrible that can be. Um, and he he said, he looked down at the forest floor and it's covered in leaves and twigs and there's a million little crevices for a contact lens to fall into they're clear by the way um, so he just said Ashley don't move let's pray and before he could pray she burst into tears and she said what good does it do I've prayed for Kim to speak and she isn't speaking and that caught me what good I'm reading a book on prayer that what good does it do what please explain and he does Their daughter, Kim, who the wife had stayed home with, struggles with autism and a developmental delay. And because of her weak, fine motor skills and because of the problems that she has with motor planning, she's mute. And so for eight years of her life, Kim has been mute. The family decided after five years of speech therapy that they were going to quit because Kim crawled out of the doctor's office crying from frustration. To Ashley... The author says, prayer was no mere formality. She had taken God at his word and asked that he would let Kim speak, but nothing happened. Kim's muteness was a testimony of a silent God to her. Prayer, it seemed, didn't work. Now, few of us, if, we're, if we'll be honest with each other in here, few of us have the courage that Ashley had to articulate that cynicism that sometimes can creep into a Christian's life or a spiritual weariness that develops in us when we have a heartfelt prayer and it goes, as far as we can tell, unanswered. Um, we we want to keep our doubts hidden um, from ourselves even because we don't want to sound like a bad Christian. Um, there's no need to add shame to the cynicism that we feel. So what happens when we don't confront it is our heart's shut down. When we don't acknowledge it, we don't confront it, our heart's shut down. And honestly, to add to it, <clears throat> the glib way that, that Christians or people talk about prayer often reinforces that cynicism, we end conversations with, I'll keep you in my prayers, we we, we have this vocabulary of a prayer speaker where we'll say, I, I'm lifting you up in prayer, or I'll remember you in my prayers. We start quoting Paul who said, I remember you in my prayers, or I, I make mention of you in my prayers. And we, it's, Sometimes we go and it, it's almost like a Christian speak. I'm not saying those phrases are wrong uh, if you're praying, but many of the people using those phrases never quite get around to praying. Why? Because we don't think prayer makes much of a difference sometimes. It's an honest way of viewing it. That's an encouraging introduction, I know. You all seem so happy and excited. And I thank you for being here today. I'm not going to kick you in the shin. Um, We will end encouraged. I want to go back to the book and what the author said. He concludes the story. He said, I needed help. When Ashley burst into tears in front of our minivan, I was frozen. I was caught between her doubts and my own. I had no idea She'd been praying for Kim to speak. What made Ashley's tears so disturbing is she was right. God had not answered her prayers. Kim was still mute. And this is what he says. I was fearful for my daughter's faith and for my own. I didn't know what to do. How many parents no need to raise your hands, but how many parents have felt that clutch? I've had my kids say, Daddy, let's pray about it. I'm just being honest with you. uh, Preaching a message typically does not come from going to the Bible and saying, God, what do I need to give to these people? What do they need? It's God, what do I need? That's how it usually is approached. So I'm being honest and open with you. Please don't don't think me bad. Um, uh, I'm really revealing, I'm pulling back a, a pulling back a veil and letting you see. Um, he said, "I didn't know what to do. Would I make the problem worse by praying?" That was his thought. If we prayed and couldn't find the contact, it would just confirm Ashley's growing unbelief. I had little confidence God would do anything, but I prayed silently. "Father, this would be a really good time to come through. You've got to hear this prayer for the sake of Ashley." And he said, then I prayed out loud with Ashley, Father, help us to find this contact. When I finished, we bent down to look through the dirt and the twigs, and there sitting on a leaf was the missing lens. And he finishes this introduction with, prayer made a difference after all. Have you, have you been there before? Can you relate in any way? Is it just that God gave a message so that I would grow? Um, if that's the case, please please watch me as I grow, because I've grown through this study greatly. Um, have you found in some way, in some time, in some area of your life, that there's a, kind of a cynicism towards prayer that has crept in? It, let, me, let me tell you what cynicism sometimes looks like. Um. If we see in the forecast that tomorrow it's probably going to rain, there's a eighty percent chance of rain tomorrow forecast, and so we pray. We used to have a guy in our church. I'm going to chase a rabbit. A guy in our church named uh, Bruce Scott, and he used to always. We'd have Wednesday night prayer, and we would we would uh, you know raise your hand if you have a prayer request, and so he would always say either uh, pray for rain. We need rain. He was a farmer, or if we had. Thankful time, you know, you have a blessing. He would say, I thank, thank the Lord for the rain. Cynicism looks like this. It was in the forecast that it was going to rain. You prayed for rain and it rained. It was going to rain anyway. That's not God answering your prayer. That's you just knowing that it's going to rain and asking for rain. It, it's, it's nature. God changed the entire structure of how things are working in the skies so that rain can fall, and it does. And we go cynical because we say, well, it would have happened anyway. God, I got a boo-boo on my finger. Will you help it to heal properly? And the doctor puts an ointment on it, or it's a broken finger. I want it to heal straight, and it didn't happen with me. Both of my fingers point. And you see that? So um, so, so when I point at you, I'm actually pointing down. Uh, but so... So, but, but what we like? So, uh, uh, God helped this surgery to go well. The surgery goes well. Man, the doctors did a great job. This, this medical marvel. It would have it would have went well anyway, right? That's cynicism towards prayer. It's saying, God, I'm gonna use. I'm, I'm gonna do the formality of praying, but in reality, I know it really doesn't make much of a difference because I know there it's gonna be fine. We live in America. We have great health Um, that's cynicism. That's what it looks like. Maybe it's time in our prayer when we approach God with something that is big. Maybe it's time to maybe take a different approach. Um, I've got a quote that I'm working from, and it's this, Prayer is less concerned about discerning God's will than it is trying to discern and disown yours. And we're going to go through this, so please don't let me lose you if that sounds in any way sacrilegious. I apologize. I apologize. Prayer is less concerned about discerning God's will than it is trying to discern your own and disown it. Um, We think it sounds spiritual to simply pray God's will in any situation. Not just be honest. God, we ask that your will be done. Okay, cool. Uh, The reason it sounds good is because it's, it's partially true. Should we not desire God's will? Okay, cool. Uh, we should want God's will in every situation. In anything we approach in life, in everything we find ourselves praying for, we should say, God, I want your will in this. But I believe there's more of a process to it than just saying, God, I want your will in this. Declaring it, walking away from that. After saying, I want your will, well, I told him I wanted his will, so, you know, I mean, he knows. Um, look at Jesus. He prayed for God's will to be done right. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So, Uh, or thy will be done. Uh, He says it in what we call the model prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer, but the model prayer where he says that we ask God that his will be done in earth and in heaven. So it's not, not, I'm not saying that that's wrong to pray for God's will, but I think there's a process that we need to go through to get to the point where we're asking for that. Um, Let's look at the prayer process that Jesus went through. The first point this morning is we have to discern what it is that we want discern what it is that you want that's the first point what exactly is it when you're going to him in prayer that you're praying for not what's the situation what is the thing you want what is it you're praying for what is the outcome that you desire when you're approaching him in the prayer Um, we have to start off in prayer life honest we cannot be vague with god that like you can't over spiritualize. You can't underexpress When you pray, you over spiritualize. Our gracious heavenly Father, we come to you today, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thou alone canst intercede today. We humbly ask that Thou wilt have Thy will and Thy way in this time of our trouble. That's an over spiritualization. Do you talk like that? Is that like? And sometimes we do. We we feel if we grow more eloquent in our language. I had to write it down because I'm not eloquent at all. Um, If we grow more eloquent in our language and we are grandiose in our statements to him, it's going to impress him to the point that he does what we want. Um, uh, Under-expressing, one of my least favorite things when my kids come to me and it's, Dad, I need to ask you a question. We wanted to, and I'm like, just say it. Just say it, please. God, we ask that you're present and that you work in this situation. You know our hearts. Well, that's not telling him anything. Of course he knows your hearts. He's omniscient. He knows everything. But he wants you to tell him. He wants you to express it. Um, When I went to my father-in-law, those of you who aren't aware of this, I am Dean Herring's son-in-law, and nobody cares. Good. Um, When I went to him to ask for George's hand in marriage, I lived in Florida. I was the youth pastor of my church in Florida. And we had a pretty good-sized youth group that would travel to Portland every other year. Well, me and Georgia started dating the summer of the year before we were gonna to go to Portland. And um I knew immediately that I was gonna marry her. There was this obstacle. He's about 6'4. No, so no, there's no obstacle. So I I knew, so I had this ring. I'm coming out in November. My plan is well. To Georgia, my plan is I'm going to pick her up in Idaho. I'm going to come visit the family, pick her up. We're going to fly to Portland to meet the youth group who is going to be in Portland around the same time we land at PDX. So we're gonna, all going to come and take a picture of the carpet together. So we didn't do that. It wasn't a thing then. But we, uh, we, I got to Boise, hung out with them, and I had to find a way to get into his office alone without her knowing it she would know why I was talking to him privately and needed to talk to him privately. So I found my opportunity, my window, and I went into his office and I sat in front of his desk. is this big desk. And, and we talked, I knew in the cabinet behind his head, by the way, were a bunch of hunting rifles. He didn't have it open. He could have, but I sat there in his office and I talked to him and I said, I mean, I love Georgia and she loves me. And, uh, I really, like, I think God, Georgia's God's will for my life, and, and I think she feels the same way. I said everything except for, I would like to marry Georgia. <laughs> so I finished with my over-spiritualization and under-expression, and he just smiled. Have you all seen his smirk? It's annoying. Um, he just smiled, and he said, he just, he, his eyes were kind of closed, and he opened them, and he said, so you're asking if you can marry Georgia. And I melted. I was like, you just said out loud what I wanted. Like, <laughs> uh, so like it was like this, oh, my goodness, he said it out loud. You know, yes, I think she's pretty. So, no, it was like this. But it, it, so you're asking if you can marry Georgia. Sometimes I think God sits in heaven and he goes, so you're asking if I'll heal the person. So you're asking if I will intercede and give you the house that you're asking for. So you're asking if I'll give you the raise. You're asking if I will take this thing away from you that you don't want. I think sometimes he's, so you're asking, because we don't. We just, we underexpress. We just throw it out there. So he did say yes, by the way. All right. I know some of you were like, so, end of the story. How'd it go? Um, <laughs> How do you approach a father with a request? How how, how do you approach a daddy with a request? Uh, Typically, you're going to state the thing that you want and ask that it be given, whatever it is. I'm going to state this is what I want and I'm going to ask that it be given. If we approach him with a veiled or cryptic request, why do we do it? Why do we do that? It's like he's mystical and he's uncaring and it's like a deist view of God. I set you in motion. Take care of yourselves. That's not how he is. He is involved in our lives. And can I submit this to you? If you are coming to him in prayer for something, it is important enough to you that you are approaching him in prayer. This isn't a God thank you for the food you provided. Amen, let's eat now, we've done our part. But I'm coming to him because this thing is here and it's a big deal. When we approach him in prayer about it, I, I, I submit that we don't walk away and divorce ourselves from the outcome. Whatever he wills, it's all right. That's not how we approach it. When when it's important enough to approach him about it, it's important enough for us to care about the outcome, right? So let's look at Jesus. How did he start his prayer to the Father? We're going to be in chapter 26 and verse 39 of Matthew. How did he start this prayer? Did did he not discern what it was that he wanted? Did he not articulate in a clear, concise manner what it was he wanted? It says in verse 39 that he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Is that not, this is the thing I want and I'm going to articulate it and this is my desired outcome. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now I want to address that really quickly. What is it that Jesus is asking for here? Because I've read commentary after commentary after commentary and uh, notes at the bottom of pages in Bible after notes in the bottom of pages of Bible. And I've found different theories. And one of the theories was that Satan was tempting Jesus and he was being tempted to not die for our sins. In the Greek it is pronounced, no, 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 no. no. Jesus isn't being tempted to not die for our sins. That's not what this is. Jesus isn't asking God, if it's possible for me not to be the Messiah, can can we do that? Jesus knew he was the one who would, he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So I'm going to read something to you from John Phillips. He says this, And what was it that filled his cup with horror? Was it the cross? Any man would shrink from the cross, for it was a dreadful way to die. But many had died that way, and many more would. No, it was not the fears, physical means of death that caused him to sweat blood. It was our sin. It was the thought of being made sin, of dying for sin, of being accursed of God. It was the thought of being alone with no eye to pity him and no hand to save. Now, John Phillips has some good thoughts in there, and I would like to add some more. I don't think it was that he didn't want to die. I don't think it was the death for sin. I don't think it was being the sacrifice for sin. I see this cup as this cup is the wrath of Almighty God that is to be taken by somebody. And Jesus is not saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want it to happen. He's saying if there is any other way. If there is any other way, he says in verse 39, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way. And later on he says, if it can't come except that I drink this cup. Like it's, we're going to get there as as we go through the process that he went through. But just think about the effects. What is the effect of one sin on a a human being? It's It's pretty devastating. It's got some ripple effect. We talk about somebody commits a sin. That sin has a ripple effect and it does affect those around them. Jesus Christ, the Bible says of him, I'm sorry, I need to just... Stay focused on the notes here. Um, uh, 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 it says, For he hath made him to be sin who knew no sin. He hath made him to be sin who knew no sin. Every sin you have ever committed, plus all of those who've lived before you, and every sin that you're going to commit, let's not fool ourselves into thinking we're never going to sin again, um, and every sin that the people who are going to be born in the future will commit, we're laid upon him. Every." last one of them. Now, what is our righteousness as to God? Filthy rags. What do you think our sin looks like? Um, He's going to take that upon himself. Now, the Bible does describe Jesus on the cross. There was a three-hour time of darkness. Pastors covered this in a a message. There's a three-hour period of darkness. I think God shielded Jesus as he held, he became our sin. I think he covered the sun. The time when God turned his back on his own son, I think he was shielding the world from seeing it themselves. Um, I don't believe he was trying to get out of his duties as the, Messiah, as the Messiah. Let me read to you Hebrews twelve two. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what is his joy? Us. We're his joy. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross what did he despise? Despising the shame of becoming sin. And then it says, "Is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I believe he was trying to get out of his duties as Messiah. It wasn't a lapse of faith. It wasn't him, his humanity overtaking his godness. Um, he's going to be made sin for us. And if it's possible for this cup to pass, that's what I ask. Now, it's an uncomfortable subject. It's a topic I don't think we'll ever fully understand. I really don't think we're gonna comprehend this in this life fully, Jesus' request and the desired outcome here. I can say that Martin Luther said this when Jesus was on the cross and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Martin Luther said, God forsaken by God. Who can understand that? I mean, I don't think it's within us to fully comprehend what's going on here, but I can tell you Jesus had a desired outcome and he articulated it to the Father. He said to the Father, if it's possible. And that's, I think, the lesson for us. When we look at what it, what, what it is we want, what is the desired outcome, that we articulate it to him. Um, the second point, <clears throat> disown your will, discerning the outcome. Discern, or deci- pff, discern what it is that you want. What is it? Articulate that. Now you have to disown your will concerning the outcome. Matthew 26, 39, he went a little further, fell on his face, prayed saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will. I've given you my desired outcome, my will, if you will. Nevertheless, not as I will. I'd say the easiest part in this whole process of prayer, the easiest part would have to be discerning what it is that we want. Because when you're going to pray about something, you know what it is you want. That's why you're praying, right? Okay, I, 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 it's the easiest part, but at the same time, one of the most difficult parts of the process is connected to it, and that's articulating what it is we want. It's pretty hard sometimes. It's it's a raw, vulnerable position to find yourself. That's why when children sometimes come to their dad and they say, "Can we?" They're kind of afraid the answer is going to be no, so they don't really want to say fully that they want to go out and ride bikes and play chicken with cars. Like, I don't want to say it all the way because I know the answer is going to be no, but I want. I mean, I want it, so I want to ask. It's raw. It's vulnerable because a no kind of stings, right? Sometimes it hurts. It stings a little when we get a no, especially when we really want a yes. That's why I found it so hard to put into words the one thing I wanted most in this world when I was speaking to my father-in-law today, current father-in-law, but future father-in-law. That's why I had it so hard. What if he says no? If he says no, it's done. Georgia would not have gone against her dad's wishes. If he says no, it's over. That's vulnerable. That's probably the biggest reason I didn't think she'd say no. Pretty sure. Um, I asked her on a bridge that I could push her off of and call it an accident. (laughs) Y'all been to Multnomah Falls? You wouldn't live to tell that I pushed. So, um, but like there's a vulnerability to asking. It's it's hard. I'm, I'm not... I said the first one, discern what it is that you want and articulate it. But that's hard, articulating what it is that you want because of the sting of a no. Um, Saying it, I knew what I wanted. That was easy. Saying it, it was difficult. Next comes something that doesn't even make sense to a sin-cursed world, and that's this. Now you know what you want. Be willing to disown that. Be willing to say, this is what I want, but it doesn't have to happen that way that's hard. That's really hard. Um, I'm a subordinate at the church. Our pastor is my boss. And if I come to him with the best idea I have ever had in the history of ideas, and he goes, I don't think so. Not not now. I have to walk away and be okay with that. That's not easy. Now put it on a grander scale. You come to God and you bring him a petition and you articulate what it is that you want and then you say, but if that's not what's supposed to happen, I'm willing to disown that. I'm willing to disown that. That's not easy. And I'm not asking you to say that's easy. And I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't had to walk down a path doing it myself. Um, but I believe it is the process. Um, when we go to the Father for something that we aren't absolutely sure of the outcome of the request, God, please let the sun rise tomorrow, duh, okay, duh. Joshua, God, can you make the sun stand still? What? You know, so when we go to God with something, and we're not quite positive what the outcome's going to be. We often let cynicism start to creep in, and we just use a cop-out answer. You know, one of the favorite cop-out answers is, well, if it doesn't go how we prayed, it wasn't God's will. Okay, spiritual giant, good for you. Um, I mean, that's a great cop-out. Honestly, it's a cop-out. Yeah, things are going to go according to God's plan. Yes, things are going to go within his will. But you realize there are things that he allows. It's not he just decides from the foundation of the world, I'm going to kill this person, or I'm going to let this person this. Or Sin has run its course in our world, and we live with the results of sin every single day. If you've heard the word cancer concerning you or a loved one, you just saw the results of sin. It's, he didn't say, I want, let's just give the world cancer. I want another way to make them suffer. No, 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 no. There are things he allows, and we're allowed to go to him and say, please, don't. Please, if it's possible. And then disown man as it's something that's difficult to do. Let me tell you about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you want to go there, it's Daniel chapter 3. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three Hebrew young men, sometimes they're called Hebrew boys, At this point, I'd call them Hebrew young men. And it says in verse 16, Daniel 3, 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. I need to give you a backstory. They're being threatened with a fiery furnace. I've talked about this before. They're being threatened with a fiery furnace. I'm going to throw you in there if you don't bow down to my idol. And so what is your answer, guys? We're here. Furnace is there. Idol's there. Last chance. And so Nebuchadnezzar gives them a lot of chance, and they say, We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. This is less about trusting that the outcome was what God had willed. Like, there's it's just, it's a, it's a given. And it's more about us disowning our desire for the outcome and trust God's will in the outcome. It's a trust. They fully, 100%, we'd prefer to not die in a fiery furnace. But if not, I'm disowning my desire to live. If not, we will not bow down to your idol. We, whatever God decides to do, we will not waffle here. We trust him. I trust him with my life. You know what Job said? In chapter 13, we've gone through some stuff with Job. By the time chapter 13 comes around, I think it's thirteen fifteen. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. What? I want to live. I prefer to live. I'm sitting in the city dump surrounded by disgusting stuff with three friends who are not friends. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job says, my desired outcome is life. My desired outcome was not to have all my children killed. My desired outcome is not to be poor because he was very wealthy. My desired outcome is that my wife not asked me to curse God and die. Not necessarily a wicked, evil woman. She saw her husband suffering and she didn't like it. But my desire is this. However, I disown that and I trust him. That's the the, the trust that a child has when you throw him in the air that you're gonna catch him. Reagan doesn't have that trust in me anymore because I did drop her once. Um, That's why she's not quite right. Um, (laughs) The trust. Though he slay... What kind of a statement is that? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Um, Does this make sense? Not really. They said what they wanted. They said God's going to have to save us from this fiery furnace and bring him honor and glory in doing so. I mean... Did he receive honor and glory? Did, they not, did he not say, this God is the real God? Um, they didn't even smell like smoke. Um, but they disowned that will and they placed their faith, their trust was in whatever God wanted. Nothing alters their resolve. Um, they articulated the desire and then they disowned their desired outcome. The third thing, and we'll close, we ought to desire God's will above our own. So, Sorry. Let's keep with the D's. Desire God's will above your own and accept his outcome. Discern what you want. Articulate it. Decide to disown. So it should be disown your will concerning the outcome. Desire God's will above your own and accept his outcome. Verse 39, Matthew chapter 26. Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Matthew twenty six forty two. Look at how Jesus's prayer changed. If this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. I'm receiving clarity on the subject, and if this cannot pass from me except I drink it, thy will be done. It looks as though Jesus is beginning to receive his answer from the Father. We, 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 we come to a place in our prayer time and we have articulated what it is that we want and we have given him the desire that we have for the outcome and we're willing to disown that in favor of his will, whatever it is, not knowing exactly what it could be sometimes. We've come to a place where we are truly praying for God's will in a situation. It's not easy to go from step one articulation to step three, just trusting God's will over your own because you've disowned it. That's not a, it's a, not a one-step thing. Um, it comes through trust that has been built up over time because he is trustworthy and he will never prove himself not trustworthy. Um, and I know it's <laughs> it sounds so spiritual to just pray with that quivery voice that God would have his way and will in the situation. I've stood in hospital rooms with people who were wanting God to save their loved one who is in the bed. And the temptation is to just say, God, we just ask for your will to be done. There's a process. God, please, we ask you, we're begging you for this person. That's articulating what you want. And in that prayer, you don't, you're standing in front of a, the bed of somebody and the family's there, you say, God, we want them to live. We're disowning that. Whatever you want is cool, right? That's, I mean, let's not be flippant with it. But but when we pray, it ought to be an articulation and we should know, I'm willing to disown that. Whatever you will, I I trust you with that over my will. If your will's different from mine, I'm willing to accept that. That's the second part there. It says to desire his will above your own and to accept his outcome. That acceptance is sometimes when it's not the thing you wanted, it's hard. Jesus in the garden praying for something. He disowns that desired outcome. He desires God's will, will, and then he accepts. Verse 43, Luke 22, 43. You can listen or read. Luke 22, 43, it says, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Now, this is part of that process. Jesus is praying, um, If it's possible that this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou. And then he says, if this cup can't pass unless I drink it, thy, thy will be done. In Luke, he gives us another insight into this process with Jesus where, where Jesus has prayed and he's prayed and it says that God sent an angel and he strengthened him. The angel came down and strengthened him. Do you see the answer in that, angel? What do you think God's saying? You're going to drink the cup. And here's your strength. He strengthened him in the face of the answer. He strengthened him. Um, he sent an answer. Strength. Did Jesus accept God's will in the outcome? I know you know the rest of the story, but please indulge me. John eighteen eleven. Jesus has been confronted by Judas Iscariot, kissed on the cheek. Um, Peter grabs a sword. He tries to lop off Malchus' head and gets his ear. And Jesus says to Peter in John 18, 11, Then said Jesus to Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thy, or, but thy will be done. Then the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? He's gotten his answer, and what has he done? He's accepted He's accepted the answer that was given to him by the Father. I'd like to share a testimony. <clears throat> I've never really done this before. In our church's setting, I have, I've talked about it before, but of, uh, an ex- this exact sequence of events has gone through my life. Um, I, it, it was lived out in an imperfect way. It wasn't done perfectly, and I'm not using myself as an example of how you should do things. So I'm not the hero of my story. Um, But back in November 2015, uh, really before that, back in 2014, as the year progressed, uh, August, September, October, (coughs) we discovered, (coughs) the doctor said there's the same complication in Georgia's pregnancy that caused a miscarriage before. Just lost the baby before. And um, it's the same complication and it's now present in this current pregnancy. That's not good news. That wasn't exciting news for us. We were not happy in the doctor's office, but we immediately began praying. We just knew. This is our desired. We just knew it's not gonna happen again. So we prayed. And we actually went on Facebook and shared with everybody. Picture of the ultrasound with the arrow marking the 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 place where the Uh, bleed was i'm i'm at a loss for the words um but uh where the where the separation was and, and it's it's one of those things that is pretty much just not very much hope and the doctor did everything but tell us there's no hope she was she was kind to us um we we showed that ultrasound picture and said please anybody pray just share this share this we want people all over praying and we asked them what to pray you know what we told them we want the pregnancy to continue on. We want the bleed to be healed. And we want the baby to be born healthy and everything to be fine. That's what we ask people to pray. Is that unspiritual? Not even remotely. We articulated what it was we wanted. Um, we told exactly what we wanted to God. We told him, uh, We've already gone through a miscarriage. Can we have this baby be born? And can we have this life? And, and man can, it, it was almost bargaining. God, you will receive all honor and glory. The doctor will not receive praise for this because the doctor told us she can't do anything. It's just George's body's gonna have to heal this and that's the only way it can go. And um, we'll give you all the honor and glory. And it became evident, McKinley came into this world 21 weeks and one day along. Those who are familiar with pregnancies know that is not, that is not far enough along. 26 is like the absolute minimum. And I actually say the one day because that one day does make a difference. 21 weeks and three days. When babies are born early and their, their gestational period is not complete and it's, it's, it's early like this, they'll say, well, when was this one born? Because I think the earliest at that point in time was 22 or 23 weeks, five days. Each day makes a huge, huge difference. So she was born at 21 weeks and one day. And we knew, it was evident, when she was coming that she was not going to be long on the earth. We, we knew that. It wasn't a surprise to us. It was a surprise to us that it was happening. But it wasn't a surprise to us we were not caught off guard when she was going to be born that we knew she wasn't going to live. And if there was any doubt, the doctor did clear that up for us. It wasn't Georgia's uh, normal doctor, uh, but another doctor that happened to be on call. And she was very honest. She wasn't mean or anything, but she was just very honest. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I need to explain some things to you. you got some decisions to make a myriad of decisions that parents shouldn't make, shouldn't have to make. And here we are. Now don't, I, I, I'm speaking with a reassured, conf, like there's a confidence here. I, it's all hindsight. I, this is all history to me. I mean, if we still live it. We still, it's, it's not over for us, but I'm just saying this is all stuff I'm looking back on. Don't mistake this confidence and reassured tone that this is how we were in the moment. It's not how I was in the moment. In the moment, I knew facts but I wasn't, I wasn't there at like, oh, okay, this is fine with me. And it shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been, okay, this is fine with me. I'm not saying that. But as I look back, I can see the hand of God orchestrating so many things. We were in St. Luke's. So many things beyond the hospital's walls that were completely out of our comprehension. We didn't even know they were happening. Way outside. And it was like, and and I'm telling you, in the moment, I'm saying it now looking back, I can see it clearly and plainly. In the moment, it was a lonely hospital room. It was just me and her. Um, That was it, just the two of us and a nurse every once in a while. So in the moment, felt lonely, felt alone. It was just not wonderful time, as you can only imagine. But looking back, it's like the angel who was sent to strengthen in Jesus is like we were sent strength that we needed, that we needed when we needed it. And it was like the answer is coming. God's answer in how he is going to allow things to go down is coming. And as it came, we received strength. And as it came, we received scripture. Scripture is not magic, but we received scripture. Each of us, different verses. Uh, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Nobody came in and quoted scripture to us in the hospital room. We were given scripture. As, as we're going, strength started coming. And in that moment, we were given strength. And, and I, I can't say that in that moment I had even come to step two. I had not disowned my desired outcome and I understand I'm not, I'm not trying to beat myself up in over through history and beat myself up over this and say, oh, you you poor Christian because you hadn't, no. I'm just saying, even though in that moment I hadn't even stepped into step two, um, even as I could see that things weren't going to be how I, as I wanted it, I tried to hold on to it. And McKinley lived for an hour and 36 minutes. It was peaceful. It was quiet, hour and 36 minutes <clears throat> that she lived outside, of the womb and I can tell you about but I cannot explain it because I can't comprehend it the strength and the presence that we felt in a lonely hospital is just us now just us and her in this lonely hospital room for an hour and 36 minutes I was given and Georgia can say this I can only speak for myself now but I was given strength that I didn't even want yet does that make sense is that is that a good way of, of articulating it? I was being given strength that I wasn't even at the point where I wanted it yet. Um, he was giving me strength at my greatest time of weakness up to this point in my life, the greatest time of weakness I've ever experienced. He was giving me strength in it. And I know that I can never and I will never be able to explain questions like why. Why? Those are horrible questions to ask to somebody. Um, I can say with the resolve that Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I can say that today. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. It's another verse the Lord gave through the process as we went through. But I can say this. I came through this exact same process of steps that I just talked about today, articulating, disowning, and then deciding to trust God's will and his outcome and accepting it. I had to go through that same process of steps. I didn't go through them in the moment. And dead sure didn't come through them like I'm asking you to do it like boom 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 I didn't know it then I think this is one of the things that I learned through the process was this or experience was this process being willing to say to God this is what I want and if this is not how you decide if this is not how you decide to allow things to go I disown my will and I'm going to take you and trust you I'm trusting you with everything I will trust you with my life I will trust you with my family I'll trust you with my children with my future, anything, I trust you. That is, that is a big step, and I couldn't ask anybody in here to take it. I can ask you to take the little steps up to it, and you'll find yourself in a place where you say like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Now while it's at this, is, I'm, I'm gonna close. While it's absolutely true that we should pray and desire God's will to be done, I am not belittling or setting aside that fact. I'm actually exalting that fact even higher. It's not that simple to just declare it and walk away. I believe it's a process that was illustrated to us by Jesus here, and it is illustrated clearly, this process. I think it's important enough, if it's important enough to you, that you feel the need to come on your face before God. You know there is a desired outcome you have in mind. If you didn't have a desired outcome, you wouldn't be praying about it. If If it wasn't important to you, you wouldn't be praying about it. But looking for that desire so that you can disown it in favor of what God chooses can be the most, that's the most effectively effective way to pray for God's will in our lives and in the lives of others. Let's pray. We'll just have a brief prayer and then we'll close. I, Lord, I thank you for the day you've given to us and I thank you for your word. I thank you for... This process of prayer that that Jesus Christ went through on this earth, Um, you sweat drops of blood for us. It's a big deal. And you showed us a process to teach us something in that moment. I pray that you would bless each person here this morning. I pray that you would bless the the, the, the reading of your word this morning, and that lives will be changed as a result. In Christ's name, amen.